Now I know what you're thinking. You already heard me on Monday, and you're getting another one of these? Well, you're lucky, because I don't do this that often. So I'm back with another episode this week. And, uh, you know, Spencer Worth Davis, he's back. Dude, how you doing, man? Hi, and you're you're welcome to all the listeners. Double episodes? <laughs> Double they should, episodes. It's, they should be so not, lucky. Yeah, it's not going to happen often. But, uh, you know, the last time that we had you on, the end of December, we talked about Dionisio Yanka getting yanked off the streets by some David Spades and the female equivalent. Ah, uh, yes, uh, the, the Yanka yank. The Yanka classic, yank, yes. Classic case. <laughs> That that could have been Luka Doncic's name, you know, it, it could have. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you, you teased a podcast, you didn't give us a name or anything, but you're like, hey, I got, I got something coming up here. And now it's out now, Finding Quantum Quest. It started yeah. as an episode of the What If podcast. So tell us, tell the listeners a little bit about Finding Quantum Quest and, and what led you down the path to... Make a podcast about a singular subject like that. Sure. So January of 2021, so just over a year ago, I just came across a Reddit thread about this weird movie called Quantum Quest. And it came out in 2010. It's an animated sci-fi movie starring like dozens of A-list actors like John Travolta, Sarah Michelle Gellar, Chris Pine, Amanda Peet. Neil Armstrong is in it. It's like, it's a, just an absurd cast list. Animated, sci-fi, funded by NASA, came out in 2010 in one theater and then disappeared. Was like never on any streaming services, never got a wide theatrical release. It's never been on like home video or anything. Literally impossible to watch this movie. So we did a an episode of my podcast, the What If podcast about it. And then like for days and weeks afterwards i just couldn't stop thinking about this and whenever i had free time i would be trying to like find any information i could about this weird kids movie that should exist but doesn't and uh eventually it just turned into this whole other project of its own and we spent about a year trying to actually find the movie and we talked to like the filmmakers and some of the actors and People that like worked on the crew, the editor, sound design folks, uh, ended up talking to multiple people at NASA because NASA was involved with making this movie too, and made sort of like a short run five episode show about it. So it's called Finding Quantum Quest. The first three are out right now, and then uh, next Wednesday and the following Wednesday, the last two episodes will be out. And and you were gracious enough to let me listen to him early and. Uh, you know, what you guys have always done on the What If podcast is great because you always find these very, like, at times niche and, and just utterly fascinating stories. And then you go, like, hog wild on it. And this is, like, <laughs> the What If podcast. If you had uh, if you had taken that pill from Limitless and you were able to just focus <laughs> on one thing. We, we finally, like tried to actually answer a question instead of just making jokes mm -hmm. about it for an hour. Yeah. And it took us yeah. a year a year instead of an hour. <laughs> right. And, you know, it delves into, you know, different territories that, uh, you know, apart from finding this film, which, you know, um, 
I'm not going to spoil the thing. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. You don't know. <laughs> but you'll find out. You'll find out. But uh, it, it delves into bigger and deeper territories than, I mean, I assume that you even had planned on going with this podcast. You know, it, it, it delves into, like, kind of the beauty of sending, like, a an expensive space telescope with a with a decent lens on it out into space and, like, taking pictures. It just, it, it becomes this beautiful kind of, uh, you know, meditation on, you know, this bigger thing. So, you know, I applaud you, man. This is, uh, it's great. And everybody should be going to listen to Finding Quantum Quest. It's, it's absolutely fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, it's, I think it's easy to forget with a lot of the stuff that we talk about, but especially like when you get into media, even a piece of like bad in quotes media or -hmm. like a bad movie or album or whatever it might be, especially when it's a movie, like dozens, if not hundreds of people worked on this thing for months or sometimes years. And like, In this case, when we're talking about actual images of planets and moons and things like so much had to go into making this movie, even if it's not like a good movie in the traditional sense, like all of astronomy and space exploration had to happen just to make this animated kids movie. (laughs) And then no one can see it for some reason. It's just... I, talking to the people who spent a decade on this thing that disappeared became its own fascinating little case study to me of like, why? Like what, what made you spend 10 years on this thing that like, you didn't even know if it was going to work mm-hmm. and you got up every day for a decade and went to work on it often for free or like at, at cost to yourself. You weren't, like you were losing money at times yeah. just to try and make something new or different or the way that you wanted to make it. So that definitely became a, a thread through there and like tying that to why we explore and sort of like those same concepts in science of sending a probe out into space that cost billions of dollars and hundreds of people spent years working on without even really knowing like what was going to be out there or without knowing for sure that it was going to work. So kind of became a little, like you said, a meditation on, on that process as well as just trying to find this stupid kids movie. <laughs> <laughs> like a, a kids movie with an A-list, you know, uh, group of actors done for like a ridiculously low amount of money. Like for, for a, a movie like this, and, like, you know, you could say, like, you could look at the, um, like, the movie poster and you kind of get a sense for the animations that's behind it. But, like, really, really, really cheap to make a, a, a movie, you know, like that. And, and it, it's kind of impressive in its own way of, of how it exists, you know, because yeah. realistically for for who's in it, for the budget, for just the, the time that it took for this project to even come to fruition. It's it's almost a miracle in its own right that it kind of exists. And that 
99% of the funding came from the Taiwanese government and the other yeah. one and the other 1% was the American government. Yeah. Like yep. just so many weird little pieces of this story that shouldn't make sense, but somehow all all do if you piece it together. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and that's why y'all should really go listen to Finding Quantum Quest. It's uh it's really fantastic and 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 I think you're really going to enjoy it. Uh today I brought Spencer on because we're going to talk about, I'm calling this alien mullet copperood because he kind of reminds me of Ryan a little bit without glasses and a mullet. <laughs> just a tall blonde guy with a beard. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty just, much. Just uh, every, so... every millennial male in Minnesota, I think is what you're describing. I, I mean, I don't know, you know, kind of the uh, flora and fauna completely of Minnesota, but you know. If you're saying that's on point, then, you know, I'm not going to argue with you on that. <laughs> you could just, like, you could just swap the Nordic alien type mm. for for dudes between the ages of 25 and 35 that you would see at a craft brewery in Minneapolis. It's the same thing. Gotcha. Minus, gotcha. like, the, the tinfoil jumpsuit look. That hasn't quite caught on here yet. I mean, there's always time. Uh, yes. There's always time for new fashion to if come you, into uh, the fold, and I think uh, I think there's hope for that at some point. But just put one of the Nordic aliens in a flannel and a beanie, and you you get the idea. Yep. Oh yeah, absolutely. So uh, we're headed to England for this episode, uh, and and I I don't think I've done an episode an episode from England, which is which is kind of weird. But uh, you know, delving into this uh, this case involves. A woman named Joyce Bowles, she's 42 years old. Uh, a, she was a British rail powder room attendant, so she had a pretty badass job. Uh, not going to huh. lie. She she could probably blow up a train or two, I'm assuming, if she I really wanted to. <laughs> Is that what that means? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> okay, okay. No, but I'm you're, still you're thinking she assuming. could blow up a train. Yeah, sure, okay. I think I like she probably could have got that train up to 88 miles an hour better than, <laughs> you know, Doc could at uh, in Back to the Future 3. I think she would have had it going on. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And uh, she was with a friend named Edwin Ted Pratt. He was 58 years old, a former farm manager, forced to retire because of uh, a heart condition. But on the evening of Sunday, November 14th, 1976, Joyce and Ted had left to go pick up her son who had been at his girlfriend's house at uh, Chilcombe Farm. And turning on to the A272, they both noticed this kind of orange glow in the sky. And after a moment, it briefly disappears and then it kind of comes back into view. Ted sees it, but uh, Joyce doesn't that second time. But the car then turns into this narrow lane uh, headed towards uh, Chilcom, and it began to, quote, shudder and shake as though it were coming to pieces, which is, uh, you know, having never been in a situation like that, it's a bold way to describe that. You know, you're basically saying that your car's coming apart, but I get it. I understand. You felt like it was going to, you know, just disintegrate in front of you. If your car drives off the road on its own, like, who knows what else it's capable of at that point? Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is some, this is that future Jetsons tech that everybody's been promising us. It just <laughs> operates on its own. And I mean, who wouldn't want that at this point? Yeah, it just made one very brief appearance in England in the 70s. And then mm -hmm. they had to, you know, had to go back to R&D before it was available to the public. 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, Joyce loses control of the vehicle. It kind of like just takes a diagonal right into this, uh, kind of grassy area right next to the road. And it, it eventually comes to a full stop. The only thing was, is when it reached that full stop, the engine was still roaring as, as if it was like doing, you know, like a hundred miles an hour on the road. So definitely do not recommend that. You should take that to the shop immediately. Quite question about that part. Mm-hmm. Were the tires spinning or like no. just the engine was revving as if it were in park? Just the, and the engine was like revving incredibly loud, incredibly loud. That's and the car was what it said. And the car was in gear. It just wasn't yes. moving. Right. Huh. Okay. So she eventually removes her foot from the gas. And that's oh, when well, she. Oh, well, that would do it with in regards to the engine revving. <laughs> well, even after she removes her foot from the gas. Okay. It's okay. still revving. It, 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 it seemed to be, you know, a, a big problem. But about five yards in front of their car was a cigar-shaped craft that was kind of just, like, hovering uh, about a foot off the ground. Uh, And it was about 15 feet long. And there was this strange mist that was coming out of the bottom of this thing. And from a lone window on what they presumed to be the front end, there were three heads that were looking out at them. Then one of the uh heads attached to the body of uh mullet copper root uh comes <laughs> out of the side of this craft now there are no doors in this thing it literally just walks through the wall so sure i mean if you can walk through walls you don't really need doors right exactly exactly i mean this just is efficient. the future tech the yeah. future tech that we're still waiting for like <laughs> when am i going to be able to just walk through walls Doors are so 1975, bro. Yeah, I know. Seriously. (laughs) What do we need those for? Um, So this was a slim six foot tall man with with what looks like a mullet. Like when you look at the images of this figure, it definitely has kind of a mullet going on and it has a decent looking beard. Like this alien could grow a beard better than me and I am furious about it absolutely furious about it question about this person slash alien mm-hmm. she described him just as a man right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. she never said alien nope so the only thing implying non-human is the whole spaceship and walking through walls thing right like if you just saw this person it would just pass for a a man there's there's another distinguishing feature of this individual that kind of sets himself apart. So when he approaches the vehicle, she describes him as being very white and having Still sounds pretty pink. Minnesotan to me. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um <laughs> the one distinguishing feature though is that he had pink eyes. Like so he's albino. Yeah, uh, yeah, like that. That's the impression that she got. It's kind of just this, uh, you know, albino dude so, in a UFO. So Joyce had just never seen an albino person before. It's possible. I don't know. Can <laughs> okay. can they walk through walls? I don't believe they have superpowers. That is you, good point. That is yeah a significant difference between the average albino person. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so they, the garment, you know, wearing that silvery kind of coverall type material, um, it looked it, exactly like it was made out of aluminum foil, which I get it if, uh, you know, you kind of, maybe if you want to do a sauna suit or something like that. Uh, yeah, I can get that. You want to, you know, maybe drop a few while you're uh, just out terrorizing random motorists. And that's when um, he actually walked up to the vehicle in about four or five strides. It didn't take him long. So had a from, pretty decent gait, you know. From how far um, away? Uh, about, I think she said 15 feet. That would be so, about right, wouldn't it? About, uh, I would about think three so. feet per, per stride for somebody six feet tall? That seems pretty normal. Yeah, can we uh can we get Ryan to uh give us like, you know, at some point just ask him to like walk 15 feet and see how many strides it takes. Well, he's he's 6'5", so we'd have to we'd have to do a little adjustment right. there, but Right. Uh that's the thing too that's confusing is that um in the original report it says 6 feet. In a a video because Joyce Bowles, what you're going to find is that Joyce Bowles has been interviewed twice by the BBC, once for ghosts that were in her house and for this incident. And when she was being interviewed for this incident, she said he was more like six foot three. So, you know, only a couple inches off. Uh, But I think we need to get Ryan out in the field, have him walk 15 (laughs) feet and see how how many strides it takes him, because I think he can do it. Give him a mullet, wrap him in tinfoil, get him some contacts. Yep. Toss them out in a field, yeah, and go terrorize people who uh, drive their cars off the road. Yeah, it, it's uh, we've we've placed it. We've got this one. Yeah. <laughs> so this figure walks over to uh, the driver's side. So that's the right hand side, uh, and uh, he places his hand up on top of the car, and he bends over and he looks in, and. Uh, that's when she noticed that he had his pink eyes. They had this penetrating look. She felt like there was like a, a kind of power coming from his eyes because she felt uh, terrified at first and then incredibly calm. Like hmm. it, <laughs> the way that she described it is like you know he had a a powerful stare or something like that. The um, terrified part makes a lot of sense. Yes. Uh, the the direct quote is the man looked at me and I think transmitted some power which calmed me. Oh, mm-hmm. that's nice of him. Yep, but uh, yeah, at first she's terrified. She starts to grab onto Ted's clothes, and the weird thing about Ted's clothes is that they were extremely hot. So at first I was thinking, was Ted like sweating here a little bit? Was he a little nervous about this? Because I would certainly be in this situation. But no, his clothes were just incredibly hot to touch that seems like that would be like what were they made out of fabric doesn't conduct that much heat right no no it does not without burning right so is ted in danger of uh you know human combustion i don't know was ted also wearing some sort of metallic jumpsuit no he wasn't okay Uh, he was wearing (laughs) he was wearing normal clothes at the time but um you know, the, uh, we're going to have to, I'm going to have to try and dig into this because it, it, that was definitely an odd detail in the report. It's just like, you know, he was really hot. 
And I don't know if, you know, Joyce was just like attracted to him or something like that. Maybe that's the case. Maybe Ted uh, was a total got... babe. Yeah. Oh, oh, total babe. Absolute babe. <laughs> um, so this man stood there for about two minutes. And at one point. That's so he... long to just stare into someone's car. Yeah. Oh, that yeah. sucks. <laughs> yeah. It's that's just way absolutely... too long. Yeah. Just absolutely creepy. And uh, she described at one point that. Um, when the car had come to a stop and the ev- engine was revving, Ted decided to turn off the ignition. It's It was still revving. Good call. This mullet copperood kind of dude looks at the dashboard and the car starts up on its own. Hmm. So, so, his, so his eyes did have some sort of superpowers. Yeah. He, he's got some uh, really dope-ass powers. And then he, you know, lifted himself back up and he moved to the rear of the vehicle. Now, they both kind of looked behind to see if, you know, he was going to come around to the other side. And when they both looked behind and turned back around, this figure and the UFO was gone, just disappeared. So, you know, the old bait and switch, uh, just distraction and uh, getting the hell out of there. So Joyce starts the car again. It starts up, no problem. But when she tries to drive it, it won't move. And she claims that it's like she's pushing against an invisible wall. Hmm. In both directions or just in front of them? Just in front of them. Okay. So when she does the second try... You know, she's able to drive off, and uh, interestingly, they both forgot about it that night. Pretty much, they picked up, they picked up her son, drove home, didn't say anything else about it. But the next day, she goes out and she tries to find the you know the exact area where this happened. You know, trying to find tire marks and in, in the ground and stuff uh, because it was kind of a little muddy out there. Couldn't find her own tire tracks. She claimed that they had been, quote, obliterated. As in something else went over that same area, like it was torn up, or just that it it looked like nothing had happened? It looked like nothing had happened at all. Is she sure she was in the right spot? You know, that's, that's, that's questionable. You know, that's a good question because... I think there's always that uh, bit of um, amnesia that comes into play with some of these cases. Like, I think Betty and Barney Hill struggled at first to find the area where they had been abducted, but Mm -hmm. they eventually found it by going out, like, every weekend until they found it. So um, there was another case that I read about uh, maybe sometime last year. This uh, family called the Milkovich family, they were... They were um, immigrants from, I want to say, like, Yugoslavia or something like that. And they had moved to England. They ended up seeing this UFO, and it was, like, absolutely huge. Um, Kind of a, um, like, a saucer, but it had, like, just a ginormous dome on top of this thing. And they could see figures moving about, and... They noted, like, this house that was in the area, but every time they tried to go back to the area, they couldn't find it, and they couldn't find this house. So, 
you know that hmm. it it's not uncommon you know it seems to it seems to happen from time to time can't find the area can't find the tracks tracks well if they're not here they had to have been obliterated well cool aliens are playing tricks on us again it's bullshit man it's bullshit they're just they're just like these aliens are gaslighting it's absolute it's wild to me you know i mean that that seems to be a that's like a trope though right the whole trickster thing Mm -hmm. some of the aliens are just here to mess with us yeah i think the uh i definitely think the mullet is a a trickster a tricksterish element to it uh i think it uh plays into that uh trope very well it's just distraction right Mm -hmm. you know you call attention to that so you can do other other things without being noticed classic misdirection yeah oh yeah completely so in the aftermath of this incident, Ted claimed that uh, he just kind of felt completely calm for a week, you know, just pretty chill. Uh, this is a guy that had heart problems, and he didn't seem to have any problems after this with his heart. Nice. So I dig that. Um, apparently, Joyce's mini clubman, which she was driving that night, <laughs> worked better than it had before. She didn't really have to use the choke as much. And, you know, I I appreciate those free, uh, you know, bills taken care of there. Just free uh, automotive work. Uh, yeah. Probably without intention, but, you know. Give Ted a tune-up and give the car a tune-up and then on your way. Yeah. Uh, the only downfall, and, and, you know, this is probably from this figure staring at her for about two minutes. The side of her face had this big old red rash on it, and Ooh. it just kind of hung out for about a week. And she also claimed that she couldn't eat for a few days after that. And, you know, to make matters worse, her watch just kept speeding up, which had never done before. But, like, I think, like, the time element with the watches and stuff, it's kind of hit or miss because it's like, are you sure your watch just wasn't running fast before? Because, like, I've had that problem. It's a valid problem. Yeah, I mean, all of this stuff is anecdotal, obviously. Mm. But even if that is accurate, like, what is that? Like, let's follow that for a second. Okay, your watch is running fast. Mm-hmm. Therefore, what exactly like what are you implying or what are what does that suggest other right. than your watch is malfunctioning like you can't really draw any other information right. from that like the aliens it's not evidence it's no. not evidence no. and, and and even if you're like speculating it it would be evidence of what exactly yeah like aliens made your watch faster like what are, <laughs> why even like, include that I watch, uh, there's there's a great TikTok account, and I think these guys are Japanese, but they, like, restore Rolex watches and stuff like that. And, like, mm-hmm. I get more enjoyment out of that than thinking that aliens are making my watch run faster. <laughs> there's more entertainment value there, I think, in the TikToks than in knowing that my watch doesn't run on time. Like, it just seems like, you know, in an age where anxiety runs high, this is just a mother point for my anxiety to just skyrocket because my watch just doesn't work right. <laughs> Clearly, I've been visited because my watch is five minutes fast. I I think we're going to get into some of it later, but I've been, uh, 
I read that book, Skinwalkers at the Pentagon. Mm-hmm. George Knapp and um, Colin, Col- Keller. Colin Keller. Yeah. And there's so much stuff in there, whether they're talking specifically about Skinwalker Ranch or just other UFO in- investigations that they were either a part of or just are aware of, where there'll be pieces of information like that. Like, after seeing a UFO, this guy's son got sick. It's like, okay, well, right. first of all, there are so many variables at play here. People get sick all the time for a wide variety of reasons. And then even if it were somehow related, like A, you have no zero evidence of that. And B, mm-hmm. what would that mean? Like you caught some sort of alien virus and gave it to your kid? Like what are you even what are you driving at by including stuff like that? And then where do you draw that line of like, okay, well, are we just listing everything that happened in everyone's lives that you know from that day on and then trying to draw a correlation to anything? Like, yeah, I lost my wallet three weeks later. Guess the aliens came back and took my wallet. Like some of that stuff is just so distracting at times instead of focusing on like, okay, well, what actually like demonstrably or in in any sort of measurable way happened during this event. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So frustrating sometimes. I guess is all I'm saying. (laughs) That shit's frustrating. (laughs) Bad data is bad data. And, like, you kind of got to remove bad data. Otherwise, like, you're left to... And it just... it Because I'm sure a lot of people... That when they read that book, and I and I, I haven't read that book, and yeah, it's on my Kindle or whatever, and I'm sure I'll get to it at some point. But there's, like, there's no it, rush. No, <laughs> you're not missing too much. It's just like it seems like you're going to make paranoid people more paranoid by doing stuff like that, by including stuff like that. I had a UFO incident and now this thing happened to me weeks later. Like if you can't draw a direct correlation, why are you even fucking say it? Just, well, just and, and I think that's what it is in a, in a lot of cases is like, it is there because there's not better evidence to take its place. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. You don't have something more concrete to point to, but you want to say more than just like, I saw this thing that I can't explain. Right. Right. You want to try and support it somehow. So you're reaching for like, and it made my dog's hair fall out or whatever, you know, just try and draw any sort of, uh, coincidence into it that you can, but. Right. And, and I had a discussion with somebody and I can't remember who this was like a week or two ago, but, I was talking about what what distinguishes something that is believable, you know, in terms of UFOs, UFO cases, and stuff like that, versus something that isn't. And it, and to me, it comes down to sensationalism versus absurdity. Because the more absurd elements to a case, the more believable it seems. Because it's like, why would you include those details that? If you're a person who has never had a UFO encounter before and you're making it up, why would you include 
absurd details like in this case there's yeah. i mean like aside from the watch being fast that's that seems sensational in and of itself it's just you know an added thing that uh it just seems like well it's going to get it's going to pile on to the strangeness that already exists in this case already um in in the in the fact that you know you do kind of have evidence in her car if her car really was running like shit and now it doesn't that's pretty interesting unless yeah. you went to a shop but i mean like i i think what's great about this case is that the folks from Bufora that investigated the hell out of this, like there was a car guy that went in detail on this and he's like pointing out, well, this, it, it, be, you know, corresponding to the different things that happened to the car. Well, oh, it could be because of this could be because of this or this or this or this or this. And it's like, it's exhaustive and they go and they have the car checked out and they're like, yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. <laughs> so, at the end of it, though, like he concludes that where this incident occurred, it's on a ley line. Hell yeah. <laughs> there we go. Now we're talking. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Just, uh, man. Solved. Mystery there's, there's solved. There's all these explanations <laughs> for just what happened to this car. Ley lines. <laughs> yeah, obviously. It got caught on one. That's what took it off the road. So I couldn't go forward to. Explains everything. Right. right. And it's like, okay, so it, to you, it comes down to how can I explain what happened to the car? Not, oh, she's totally making up this UFO stuff. But, and even that, like, is that really more, is that what we want to focus on instead of you saw an alien walk through the wall of a spaceship? Mm-hmm. Well, a man. Right. Perhaps. Perhaps right. a man wearing tinfoil and contacts. Yeah. But like that, that gets into that like absurd nature of it though. Like Right. And I like some of this stuff by its very nature doesn't allow for that type of yeah. evidence, that type of investigation, that type of explanation. And like obviously that's part of the problem and part of the frustration there is like, well, what you're going to measure what? Like the thing that you're describing doesn't exist. So mm-hmm. what do you want me to do about it? <laughs> right. Right. And when you go to a like a, a, a site where a landing has taken place or, or something like that, and you search for the physical evidence, you search for, you know, burn marks on the ground. You search for, um, you know, discolored grass or like holes or something like that. There's only so much that evidence can tell you. Yeah. I think the most compelling evidence that is that I've ever seen from a UFO landing case is probably twofold. The the Delphos ring case, it's interesting because like sure you there are explanations for what caused that discolored ring. It could be, you know, mushrooms. It could be a bunch of different things, but it's just like, it's odd in in and of itself. It makes you think. And the fact that the soil was hydrophobic is very, it's an interesting, you know, thing to that. But I I think the one that really gets, 
uh, kind of the uh, awards in my head is, is the Lonnie Zamora landing because it's just like we found marks on the ground that shows something heavy was here. There's some burnt patches, but like they're. And I think what was interesting then is like they were cool to the touch, even though they were burning. That's yeah. interesting. Uh, just like a, lo- a lot of different interesting things. But like there are limits to what evidence is in the UFO field. And I think that's something that people don't want to acknowledge because if you go to a site and there are landing traces, well, that's a home run. No, it's really not most of the time unless there are like uh, super normal attributes to that particular area that is not native to that particular area, you know? Well, and I think it's tough when you don't know what you're looking for evidence of. Mm -hmm. And all of this assumes that whatever this UFO phenomena is, is a purely physical Mm -hmm. thing. Right. When I think we have a lot of, I'll use evidence loosely, a lot of reason to speculate that it, it might not be purely physical or physical at all. You know, we have so many cases of, even in this one, like if that's a physical being and a physical craft, they can't just disappear in a split second. Right. So there's already some element of like, this is not operating in the way that we, that things operate here on earth in this physical plane. Yeah. So it may just be a flawed concept altogether to try and investigate these encounters in that way. Like what, if it, if it is something, you know, some sort of spiritual or psychic or interdimensional experience, well, yeah, then there wouldn't be, you know, marks on the ground or the tire tracks thing is weird. There should still be tire tracks. I don't really know what's going on there. The aliens laid some new sod or something. Right. <laughs> but I I think a lot of it is like, we, we just don't have any fundamental understanding of what we're dealing with. Therefore, how do we know what like traces of that thing to look for or to, yeah. to map, you know, okay, this, this evidence maps to this uh, event or this type of craft or being or whatever. When it's like, we don't even have a baseline understanding of what any of this shit is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it almost seems like putting the cart before the horse uh, because automatically you've assumed that whatever these are, if they're leaving evidence, that they're there's only two theories they're either from outer space or they're from or, or like the 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 Mac Tony's crypto terrestrial idea which is hey there's this other kind of advanced species that lives alongside us it might have been here a little bit longer but ultimately it still needs us for something and it manipulates us from time to time to get whatever it needs and while that theory is 
it gets kind of into almost like the inner earth kind of, you know, very problematic stuff. It's like, there is no other way that, that you can really look at this than to say, well, it's gotta be aliens from outer space. That's just, that. that's the way it is. You know, it's just weird to try and like hold both those ideas at the same time that like, the most likely explanation is aliens visiting from another planet. Mm-hmm. And also, based on what we know about space travel and physics, that probably can't happen. Right. And so, like, then why is that still the most likely explanation? <laughs> That's like the one thing that we have pretty solid evidence of it not being possible. Mm-hmm. Or, like, extremely unlikely. And I guess the other things are just, like, even more foreign to most people, you know? Like, we have even less of an understanding of... We don't even know how to start building an understanding of, like, what some sort of psychic or spiritual or interdimensional experience would be. Right. I guess I just answered my own question. But... (laughs) (laughs) Well, Well, like, when you put a label, just, like, a label on something, like, you say... Because I read this one account of this woman who allegedly sat for a long-ass period of time and brought a being into existence that tulpas are just a thing. When, like, this woman had to concentrate, allegedly, for a long-ass period of time to bring some being into existence. One time, can you fucking show me that? Just once. Right. Like all these stories of, and that going back to the Skinwalker thing for a second, just because it's in my mind, and there are some some overlaps. <laughs> like in the seventies, okay, sure, I get it. Like something completely out of the blue happens like this, where all of a sudden you were driving down the freeway to pick up your kid, and now you're in a field, and there's an, a spacecraft, and a guy walks through the side of it. Yeah, you're not prepared to document that, right? All you're going to have is this weird story afterwards. But like these dudes at Skinwalker Ranch with millions of dollars and cameras and sensors everywhere and people around the clock still don't have a single fucking thing to show for it after 20 years. Mm-hmm. So eventually it's just like whether or not something is going on, it almost doesn't matter because it it only apparently affects the people the five people it. who are there who have experienced it mm-hmm. and like why even why even spend your time on it eventually you know if it's like if it's impossible to document and impossible to understand well then what are we doing we're just telling each other fun stories i mean i guess i can get down with that but like, when do we have our national treasure moment where we're not just finding clue after clue after clue after yeah. clue? <laughs> and I just don't get, like, the only conclusion that I can come to sometimes is, like, well, this story's just not true then. Mm-hmm. If over and over and over again there are these stories that have nothing but anecdotal evidence, like, are they happening at all? Right. Or is well, it some or, like, or is it because these stories exist that they are real? Yeah, well, and then I mean, what do you mean by real in that sense, right? Like, like, like 
conceptually. Yeah. Well, sure. Yeah. You can make anything conceptually real just by thinking about it, right? But like, mm-hmm. I think for most practical purposes, we differentiate between that and like a thing you can poke. You know. Right. I and I think like at a certain point, when do you start? Especially with these experiences, and especially if you know you're convinced that they happened. How do you reconcile the reconcile the real shit in your life with this oddity that you think has happened to you that in your head that you know has happened to you that you will continue to tell people has happened to you like you're kind of just left with this gray space in your brain of <laughs> I was there I swear this thing happened to me and because nobody else can experience it it is this liminal thing that causes not only you know trauma but like in a lot of cases it seems like some deeper spiritual search for something whatever that is and i think that can go you know one way it can go the other it can go good it can go bad but it's just like we keep hearing these dang stories and some of and a lot of people that tell these stories they don't give a shit about UFOs, so why 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 even tell it? And that's where on some level, like the I don't even really know what I mean by this, but like a, a more spiritual or like mystical approach almost makes more sense to me. Mm-hmm. Like if you're dealing with something intelligent, which it seems like most people think they are, people who've had these types of experiences. Is it then just intended for that person? Right. Right? Like, is that by design that it is not, you can't just go and show the whole world this experience that you had? It's an experience for you or for, you know, this group or whoever. And is that being controlled or directed by this intelligence or these intelligences? Mm-hmm. Like, I guess that would make sense and like I, again going back to the alien thing like when you start telling the story it seems fucking weird to me that a six foot tall white man walked out of the spaceship mm-hmm. that's not that's not an alien right but right. we go to that explanation still when it's like all this evidence does not point in that direction you d- you saw a human being, and then the only connection to outer space maybe would be this craft, but, like, we know, well, as far as we know, like, interstellar travel for humans is not possible. And then if it is, like, those things don't just pop in and out of existence. Right. So it's like... Why are we always evaluating it through that lens? We just don't know any other way to do it? Right. Yeah, I think I think that's absolutely <laughs> right. Like we Rob, this... I, I'm frustrated by UFOs today, is all I'm trying to say. <laughs> You're frustrated by UFOs, and I and I get that. Uh so <laughs> Joyce's story definitely has like that spiritual element because one of the things that she said is that after this 
incident, she felt like she had this renewed inner strength. So, you know, that's cool. whether that's a spiritual experience, which it kind of seems to be for her, um, yeah, that it's interesting to come away with that from and and there's like there's always these layers to these like absolutely fucking terrifying stories. Of, yeah, she she was scared in the moment, right? Yeah, she was scared, and then it's just like, okay, I shouldn't be scared anymore. This guy, he used his uh, his eye powers on me, and <laughs> I'm not scared anymore. I feel good, and my car runs great. Yeah, yeah, she's like. Kevin McAllister, you know, running outside and saying, <laughs> I'm not afraid anymore. <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, so what's interesting here is that there were actually multiple reports of UFOs and lights in the sky uh, around the same night in and around the area. So Mr. and Miss Haynes saw a silver suited man near Chandler's Fort hypermarket. So near the grocery store, and this was about seven miles from Winchester where this uh, incident took place. Hmm. Sandra Wheeler of uh, Horton Heath saw a hovering orange object, and uh, another couple ended up seeing kind of a similar orange thing, but they described it as looking like two suns. So, um, you know, we got some, like, Tatooine shit going on here from Star Wars. Uh, Miss Atkinson of Portsmouth uh, was driving home from Swindon with a car full of people when they saw an object with, quote, lots of lights on it. And, you know, the, just repeat reports of, like, orange lights in the sky on this night. So Joyce was no stranger to strange phenomenon in her life. Uh, a few years earlier, she had been interviewed by the BBC about ghostly experiences that she had had in her home, which included at least two exorcisms of the home. Of the like the structure? Yes. You can ex- you can exercise inanimate objects? Uh of her house, I I guess. I don't, I don't know, but huh. the thing is, <laughs> she kept seeing a nun in her house. Like this nun that would appear at like the foot of her bed and, and this and that. And like, you're going to have an exorcism done. And like, the funny thing is, it's like, uh, cause I'm going to play, uh, I'm going to have a, a clip in the episode, um, uh, when, uh, everybody hears it, but like, there's this clip of her being interviewed and she's like, you know, I, th- this has happened, you know, multiple times now people have seen it and they had this interview with, um, it was a, uh, I think like a Bishop or something like that. And he's like, whatever was in this house was evil. <laughs> it's just like it's evil nun. Yeah. Evil nun, I guess. Or, I don't know. Or do you but... bring in like a satanic priest to exercise the nun? Like my, this house is too holy. She's got to go. <laughs> Bring in some devil worshippers to get this lady out of my house. Yes, yeah, so you bring in the devil worshippers, and now you've got a Satan problem in your home, so now you need the real deal to come in, take care of that right. problem. It just seems like a lot of work at this point, uh, but... I would just move. Yeah, so... Or just um, keep the nun around if she wasn't hurting anything. Yeah, right? Like, nothing wrong with that. And and the thing was, the exorcisms failed because the nun didn't leave. <laughs> yeah. This is Quarry Road in Winchester, and it was just down here in 1972 at number 45 that a Mrs. Joyce Bowles saw several ghosts. Now, she had two exorcisms, but the spirits just refused to leave. 
the first thing I saw was a lady, a nun, up in my bedroom. She was dressed in all black. And I just glanced across and see her stood by the bottom of the bed, towards the wardrobe. How did you feel when you saw this? Well, I went cold. I couldn't say anything. Under my breath, I just said, oh, my God. And I just turned and shut my eyes. You've actually held two services of exorcism, but apparently without very much success. I wouldn't say without success, uh, for the simple reason that when I first went there, uh, it was apparently something evil was there, and that evil has been done away with. One November evening last year, Mrs. Bowles and a friend of the family, Mr. Pratt, were driving out of Winchester when they saw a light in the sky. A light seen by many other people that night. This is where we see the large orange light. Mm, that's right, yes, we did. Yes, on their left. On the left here. Yes. And then... then it disappeared, and I am coming up to it now. It appeared again here. But right. it started harboring down below the back of these trees and the hedges here. We came on down the road for another quarter of a mile, maybe a bit more. We turned sharp left to come into Chilgum Lane. It's a bad bend, isn't it? Going down this lane, and, uh, we, see, we, we were doing about 20 mile an hour, maybe 20, 25 mile an hour. Done about 70 yards down, all of a sudden this car suddenly went crazy. It just leapt off the road to the right, and the engine started to rev. We hit the grass verge, which is a very wide grass verge, about 15 yards wide. And we were heading towards a high edge, so I grabbed the steering wheel as Mrs. Bowles was fighting with it, and suddenly the car straightened itself. We came down the grass verge for about 10 to 15 yards, and we came to a stop. And it was though we hit an invisible barrier, which did, it, it gave because it didn't throw me forward into the seat, but it gave and then brought us back to our normal stopping position. That was when we see... Well, then the... Sorry, yes. That was when we see what I shall say, a cigar-shaped object hovering in front of us. Inside were three figures. Yes, they had a, like a cockpit in the, the, the cabin, was in the, the front of the cigar-shaped thing. Uh, and was uh, lit up, but um, not glowingly lit up. It was a very easy light to look at. It was hovering. It had either steam or vapour coming out like, like gas jets. Then I see one of these figures get out of this thing, this yes. object, and yes. it started walking across towards me. Yes, it was. Now, as it was walking across towards me, I heard a whistle. Which and I didn't so hear. It's like a a whistling kettle starting to whistle. Now he had on like a boiler suit, but it was with a polar neck collar. He had a seam down on his right hand side. As he walked across, he came to my window. He put his arm on the roof of my car and looked in. Now he was a tall man, roughly six foot one, six foot two. He had pink eyes, which were very piercing. He had sideboards and a beard which met. He looked in at me, then he looked at Ted. After looking at Ted, he looked at my dashboard. 
And as he was looking at the dashboard, my car engine started up. Now, the car ignition keys was turned off. And as the engine started up of my car, my lights were, my headlights were four times powerful than what they normally are. Which? Which was, it was just like a glow of white. I see a movement of this figure. Oh, by the way, I grabbed Ted. And I said, no, Ted, don't get out, don't get out, because he wanted to get out. And I just literally wrapped my body around Ted. And then I opened one eye, because I'd had my eyes shut. And I opened one eye, and I said, look out, Ted, he's going round the back to you. I see a movement, thinking he was going round the right, all the way round my car. Ted looked over his left hand shoulder to have a look around, to see if he was coming round. And my words were, don't open the door, Ted, don't open the door. But while Ted was looking round, and me huddled to him with my eyes closed, the figure disappeared with the object. After starting, after it's gone, after a few seconds, which seemed hours to us, I started, Ted said, well, let's go. Oh, he asked me if he could drive, and I said, not likely. It only meant, because it meant me getting out of my car. I put it in first and started off, but we could not move. It was as though as we were still hitting an invisible barrier. Well, I put her back in neutral and waited for a few seconds, and then I started off again. And we went off perfectly normal in the car. On the Monday, when I got up, I had a rash on my face, down my neck, and on, along onto my shoulder. Which side? On the right-hand side. It was all, like, blotchy. It could have been a nerve, nerve rash, or it could have been where that gentleman was stood by my window. Incidentally, since this happening, I have had a telephone call from a person from London telling me on no account am I to say anything to anyone about this, what we've seen, because I should be having a government official come round to see me. And after all, this is England, and this is a free country, and I will speak and say what I want, which is the truth. Yeah. So, uh, about a week after her experience, she uh, received a telephone call from a, quote, well-spoken man who told her, uh, in no uncertain terms, not to speak about her UFO experience. And she basically told, told this guy to fuck off. And Had she already back, been speaking about it? I don't think she had really been speaking about it to many people, but uh, I don't know how long it was after her experience that she talked to the BBC. Okay. But uh, after saying, you know, basically telling this person to fuck off, he called back again. And the moment she heard his voice, she just like hung it up. Like, no, <laughs> I don't think so. Because uh, if it's if it's after she had been publicizing it, like that's just a prank call, right? Pretty much. I, but it's, I, I think it's more common than than a lot of people may, you know, like try to acknowledge because it just seems like when people start saying that, oh, the, the men in black got involved, somehow there's like validity to your case when, um, you know, to bring up the, the Herbert Hopkins men in black encounter from the mid-1970s, the guy that was... Um, the, did the hypnosis on David Stevens. Is that the guy uh, who said for, he was going to, like, make his heart disappear? Yeah, that guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, his nephew wrote a blog in 2008 basically saying that his uncle, Herbert, like, he loved sci-fi and he loved to make up stories. And he also said that the, you know, 
strange encounter that his son had with this like weird couple. Um, apparently his son and his daughter-in-law were like swingers and you know, they, they had their own thing. So like, that was like, uh, uh, you know, kind of, a wait, you know, yes, what? they were swingers. No, no, but how does that explain <laughs> what weird experience did they have? They, they had, this couple kind of came into their house and like, they were acting like, you know, non-human doing non-human things. Oh, a little alien, I think role, it, little alien role play situation. Yeah, pretty much. Oh, uh, I think at one Sounds point fun. they asked her for some underwear. It was kind of weird. And uh, <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. So like, Just trying some things out. <laughs> so their their cousin basically said, "Yeah, they were swingers, and this was just like one of their weirder experiences." Yeah. Okay. So you know, it, it makes sense when you because the thing is, is like I have that issue of flying saucer review that it's in, and it's got a picture of it, like a. <laughs> artist depiction of the couple on it when and you, like, when you said i have they, that when you said i have that issue i was like the issue of people coming into your home pretending no. to be men in black trying to fuck because no. you may want to address no. that issue no no issue of I, the magazine got it got it but uh i have the issue and like yeah they're they're like a weird looking couple on it but it's just like i don't understand what this adds to david stevens alien abduction it adds nothing it adds some color yeah, that that's that's about it. Um so anyway, they exercised the nun. The men in black started calling to, her house. Yeah, uh apparently Joyce had like a history of poltergeist-like phenomenon happening near her like from childhood to adulthood objects would just kind of move around on their own uh, from time to time. And on one uh, occasion, a plastic bag uh, when she was driving in her car floated from the back seat to the front passenger seat. Bro. (laughs) God damn it. (laughs) Were the windows open? (laughs) I don't know, man. (laughs) Fuck. I don't know. Uh, apparently, this ghostly nun, too, was actually pretty kind to her and would lock her car doors when she forgot to. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Um, she also claimed that she was a healer. That that Joyce was or that this ghost nun was? <laughs> that Joyce was. Oh, okay. Like a, like a doctor? Um, you know, like... I'm assuming, like, you know, kind of a Reiki kind of healer or something oh. like that. You know, Psych- really psychic energy shit. transfer healer. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So, so, not a doctor. <laughs> uh, not a doctor. Um, so, yeah, this case was investigated by Richard Nash and Frank Wood of Befora. And, and it was Frank Wood, like, uh, I'll, put, I'll put a, like, the, the issue of Flying Saucer review that this came from in the show notes. Like, if you if y'all read his report, you will understand how thoroughly he went through this car to try to figure out, hey, could it have been something you know natural that happened? Uh, I don't think you know, unless she was having some like weird stuff going on with her steering wheel. I don't think a car is just gonna like jump off the road like that. But you know, I'm not a mechanic. I can it's, fully acknowledge that. It seems like a weird place to put your focus. In this investigation, when you have someone saying that they have psychic powers mm-hmm. and that their house is haunted and that things are just flying everywhere, mm-hmm. 
you you start by taking her car to the shop? Like, don't you just go over there and say, like, can you show me this weird shit that you're describing? Can you heal me with your psychic powers? Right. That'd be great, you know? Uh, I've got some lumbago. Can you take care of that for me? It just seems like there would be more direct ways to uh, approach <laughs> the verification of some of these things. <laughs> yeah. So, um, interestingly enough, this is not the only report that year of a strange man with a beard and long, longish kind of hair hanging out. So, in the um, the town of North Reddish, which was near Manchester, wasn't far. It was kind of like a pretty sure it was a suburb. Uh, these uh, three kids, uh, two of them were twins, Susan and John Harris, and another guy, Paul Smith. They uh, they were playing on, uh, and I'm not sure exactly what this this means. I don't know what waste ground is. I, I like, I don't like. Are they playing in a like a garbage heap or something like that? Like, what is a waste ground? I I don't really know. But they were playing on a waste ground near a golf course. Um, okay. And apparently, their neighbor had constructed this kind of small hut for them to play in and 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 stuff. So. At the landfill, yeah, yeah. Uh, so this was this uh, particular incident was in the summer of '76, uh, and it was between noon and one p.m. when Susan she went inside the hut to get like a drink of water, and that's when the boys who remained outside saw this kind of like glint of um, like silver or something like that uh, pass from their eye. And the strange man with long yellowish hair and a short gray beard emerged from a bush. He wasn't walking; he was floating. So nice. He uh, he wore a one-piece silvery suit, and he was only in view for a couple of seconds before he just kind of boop, disappeared. From inside the hut, Susan heard kind of a strange rustling sound near a window on the inside and when she looked up she's she was basically face to face with this man who had disappeared and uh they just kind of looked at each other for a minute and then this strange man started bending down and he started to dig up soil samples basically and Hmm. he started to put them into plastic bags and that's when she noticed that he kind of had like this dude had a holster of plastic bags to put soil samples in. He was prepared. And yeah. Oh, he was, he was totally prepared. So are we sure like know, he's, David Bowie wasn't just doing community service or something? I, you know, I can't, I can't rule that out in, in 76, <laughs> you know, I'm sure. Yeah. I think, you know, Bowie was probably doing some weird shit in 76. So pretty sure he was wearing wearing some weird shit and ingesting a lot of weird shit i know that much yeah yeah so this dude he's got his batman utility belt of soil samples (laughs) which uh you know is is probably cool then uh susan screamed and she ran outside the hut telling the other boys you know uh there's a strange dude digging up soil samples uh this dude was shorter he was only about five nine but um you know, had some pretty dope silvery gloves and some boots to accompany his silvery outfit. 
Um, they spotted this figure again, kind of near a fence, um, after they kind of went uh, to the back of the hut to see if it could see him. And before long, he disappeared again. And uh, they approach the fence and they see a UFO lift up near the school ground and it departs, gets the hell out of there. And um, got all the dirty needed. Yeah, got all the dirty needed and he got out of there. And uh, that is the brief history of strange dudes in England that float and stuff. <laughs> that's it. That's that's. That is that's the, the whole kit and caboodle. <laughs> the history of English hockey hair in the seventies. Yes, yes, it is. It is the tale of mullet copperood. And um... <laughs> well, that was lovely. I, I apologize for for bringing my my UFO frustrations to your podcast today. I, I think uh, I think they were warranted, and, and I think. <laughs> Some people will agree. Some people may not. That's that's fine. But look, UFOs are frustrating, especially when you've been reading accounts for like years and years and years, and shit don't make sense, bro. Sure doesn't. It sure, sure doesn't. Doesn't. So, man, finding Quantum Quest. Where can people <laughs> find Quantum Quest? Well, you can't find the movie yet, but you can listen to the podcast on. Any old podcast app will do, or you can go to findingquantumquest.com and listen to it there. There are also transcripts if you'd rather read it. Uh, yeah, we got two more episodes coming out in the next couple of weeks. We're also doing new episodes of the What If podcast, mm -hmm. which you can also find on the podcast app of your choice. And uh, yeah, I think you'll like both of them if you like this here show. Yeah, it's we're like a family here, okay? So go check go check out their show. Like if you've never listened to the What If podcast, you've got like 200 some odd episodes worth of stuff that too, you can go listen to. Too many episodes, I would say. <laughs> too not enough not enough some people would say. <laughs> but uh definitely go check out the What If podcast and finding Quantum Quest. Um and thank you everybody for listening to this one. Um, special thanks to Floats for the use of their song UFO for the intro and outro to this program. Special thanks to Megan Lagerberg for the new logo, which is, um, you know, if you have Perfect. not seen me Incredible. running away from an alien, uh, just in uh, cartoon form it's it's absolutely perfect and uh it's so good if you head over to the t public shop for uh check the uh, link in the profile you can get it on a t-shirt now hell so, yeah hell yeah and finally don't forget to look up because you never know what you'll find in our strange skies or on some grassy patch of land uh <laughs> near some weird ass farm in gray we trust
Javid Media.